This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global changemakers dedicated to creating a healthier planet. One where our unique gifts are lived, expressed, and celebrated. I'm your host, Julian Guderlei. And I'm here today with Jedi Azuma, the creator of the Rising Man Movement. Welcome, Jedi. Honored to be here with you again, man. Good to see you. Yeah, it's exciting. We um, we are exploring deeply into the universe of the rising man. And today I'm going to have you on Green Planet, Blue Planet for that. I want to just right from the get-go hear from you. What was the calling? When did it happen? And what was the calling that you're like, I am committing my power, my energy to forming healthy relationships between men? Well, uh, there, there's a couple crystalline moments. I'll give like a few bullet points over the stretch of about five years is when it happened. It started when I was 23 years old and I realized that I had no idea what it looked like for me to be a man in this world. I had no mentors, nobody to model after. I was in my own spirals of addiction and addictive tendencies living in New York City. And I just, I knew I needed something else. I needed something different. So I went and and sought that out. At 25, I took a four-month journey with just a backpack traveling all over the United States, mostly the Western coast, and ultimately found a men's team that invited me in, a team of men that were all pretty much twice my age, had adult sons that were almost my age. And I just spent the next few years completely soaking up what that space had to offer, vulnerability, intimacy, challenge in the full spectrum of what men can offer each other that I'd never seen before. And after a few years of that, I started to talk about this stuff with other men in my life, my close friends, realizing that I had something now that most other men walking the planet didn't. That space where I could be vulnerable, honest, take off my mask, be challenged and embraced at the same time by men who really cared about me. And so I realized, okay, here I am. I'm about 27 years old at this time. I want to give this back. I want to make sure that there's other men who have access to it because it's completely changing my life. And so I got involved, uh, doing, started doing some coaching with men, got involved with uh, helping coach a friend's uh, men's program online, a friend of mine, Preston Smiles, who started a program called Man Cave. And in that first round of Man Cave that we did together, I was like, man, how can I get this message out to more people? And I'd been soaking up so many podcasts at that point. I was like, I'd never, ever recorded anything before in my life. But I said, I, I want to do this. I don't know why, but I want to create a podcast. And one day in a coffee shop, sitting at my laptop, thinking about what am I going to call it? Boom, like lightning, Rising Man podcast came into my head. And that was the end of 2017. So that's kind of what got me to this point where I said, okay, it's time to put this out into the world. And it's just evolved from there. Powerful. It's powerful when we follow that inner calling, that inner clarity mm-hmm. and that void, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that place that we're growing in. I feel like this is this is the real reason many podcasts get started is to be on the journey of development. Yeah. But give us a bit more. I want to hear like your perspective since then. You know, I mean, this is a space that for many people listening and for many people like that are tuned into like your audience and my audience, this is this has been a growing field in the last years, right? It's like showing up for community, showing up for women's circles or men's circles. And so what what in in retrospect like having done it now for a few years what is one of the most gratifying elements about gathering men and and what makes it like you know the connection to your the name of your of your movement the rising man like what is the rising element about it yeah well back when i 
started working on the podcast, I was doing some research and I only found 12 other podcasts that were specifically engineered towards men and the experience of being a man on this planet. Only 12. There's probably like 1200 of them now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which I, which I think is a, is a really great sign. I think this conversation, even the word men's work, we were, we weren't even putting it in quotation marks back then, mm-hmm. back then we were saying men's work and people were like, well, what's that? Is that like men's labor jobs, <laughs> like blue collar jobs that men do. And <laughs> so that was back in 2017, we're recording this in 2022. And I would mm-hmm. say men's work has become much more of a household phrase that we describe. So it's, it's a whole different frontier with that. A lot of great things come. There's a lot of more dialogue, a lot more men who were never having deeper, more vulnerable and intimate conversations with other men are having those conversations now. And there's also a cost to it. I think there's a lot of men out there who are repeating what they've heard other men say, or other men's coaches, other leaders in this field, but it's not fully grounded and embodied yet. And so my mission has always been to, I, I don't care about being the biggest men's podcast there is. When you, when you ask me, what is a rising man? A man who, who is a rising man is someone who's risen into their full expression of their purpose. And they're using that purpose. That purpose is driving them to be a leader in their life. Even if that's just being a leader in their family or in their community, on their block, I don't care how big that vision is, but just a man who's risen into that place of purpose. Because without that purpose, that's when we start to see all of these other problems that people call toxic. Like all that talk about toxic masculinity, that's just men who haven't had the space or the freedom to fully explore their purpose and find a way to give it back. That's my opinion. Right on. So in other words, that's that's really what's most required in this world right now is for for men to connect with their purpose. What, I think what's so. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of men? What is the purpose of men? I, I think inside the heart of every man, and you could anyone who's listening could just imagine the most vile man on the planet. I for, that might be different people for you know everyone out there, but just imagine whoever that man is, all of the story, the narrative you have about them, even if you don't know them personally. I believe that even inside the heart of that man that you're imagining right now, there's someone who deeply desires to, to just be of service, who really just wants to find a way to give back to improve the world around him. And maybe he's disconnected from it. Maybe he's wrapped up in self-centered, ego-driven, what can I create for myself that's going to benefit me type of place. That's just somebody who hasn't, hasn't grown into their full capacity of service yet. Or they've gone through a series of wounding or experiences as a child that didn't serve them. And I, my, one of my big messages is let's get more curious about those people that we say are vile, evil, toxic, and, and start to ask questions about, well, what, what can we learn from this mm. to better support those men and these young men that are coming up so that we don't repeat the same story? Wow, that's beautiful. Bringing that curiosity to dig deeper, to find that shared purpose. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Jetty, it's definitely like touching my heart already. And, uh, you know, if we've said this right before we hit record, like this is, this is work that's, that's come into my life just as much over the last years, because that level of sharing vulnerably and finding purpose, you said it in, as an example, like, even if it's just being a great family father, mm-hmm. you know, in my quest of finding people with, with impact, with social impact, with creating um, you know, for a healthy planet, I keep coming back that if we do this in our families, if we do this with integrity and purpose in our families, then we do this for the whole planet. Yeah. I mean, healthy people, healthy planet. 
right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of a spin on on the on the title of the show, right? That's that's I think that's where it starts. And there's so many people who are saying that right now that the journey first begins within ourselves. Um, we almost we almost got into this when we were recording for Rising Man, but and I, I figured we'd circle back to it. Are you you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I'm sure, right? Yeah, yes. So, so when you were a guest on my show, the tip of that pyramid, self-actualization, you, you spoke about that for a few minutes and it spiraled into this other topic. Uh, I recently came across an article in the past year, a friend of mine named Crystal shared it with me and she said, hey, check this out. And it was somebody who looked a little bit deeper into Maslow's research. And he was spending time, uh, I, f- I think it was with the near the Blackfoot tribe uh, up in the Dakotas area when he was, you know, really, he was making these observations of indigenous peoples and their priorities and what gave them purpose in life and contrasting that with people from more of a colonial Western background. And that's how the hierarchy came to be. But there was a, an extension of that original hierarchy. Where right? this is going. Yeah, yeah. 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 And are you familiar with this article or have you heard of this? No, it's the okay. first time I'm hearing it. Yeah. So Please I'll have share. to share, I'll have to find the article and share it with you. Um, put it in so, the notes, yeah. so self-actualization is really just stage one, right? Mm-hmm. Self-actualizing into your purpose. What I was saying before about everybody needs to identify their purpose and find a way to give it back. There was a second hierarchy where the bottom of that pillar of that pyramid was self-actualization. And then self-actualization lent itself to community actualization. So when we have an entire village of self-actualized peoples, because of our social structure has designed it and made it that way, we've raised our children in a way that helps them to become self-actualized. And so we are the same way, then the whole community is self-actualized. Say a hundred people living together, functioning together in collaborative lifestyle are fully actualized. Then that leads to the very tip of that pyramid, which was cultural perpetuity, which in my, in my mind, I just translate that to legacy. Now, this is something we can hand from generation to generation of self-actualized peoples living in community, collaborating together. So that first version of Maslow's hierarchy was just, yeah, that's the, that's the individual journey. But what do we do from there? That's the missing piece. Hmm. Yeah, I I love what you're sharing there because it kind of, you know, unties the knot or this clusterfuck of the conversation around like, sustainability what are the right things to do for the planet what is the right thing to do for you know regeneration that you know which at this point i'm fearing this turning into another buzzword you know um but at at the same time like it's such a tight knot that if we untie it and we come back to you being you and truly fulfilling what it means to be you you know aka tapping into your purpose of service then turns into the purpose of service to the community. And as the community is actualizing that, we, as you said, simplified healthy people, healthy planet. And so that is, that is such a formula. Um, but once we step out of it from a conceptual point of view and we, we look at the embodiment truth of it, <laughs> that's when we build resilient families. We build resilient tribes. We build resilient communities. And, and I believe that's what we need, you know? And it's when we say here in the States, right, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the hard work begins. I I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, way way back in New Jersey. And I grew up in a very typical, modern, lower middle class type of lifestyle where I was going to school. I was, you know, driving cars. My family, we were kind of boxed in and, and we had our nuclear family lifestyle. And over the years, my experiences, my exposure, my personal studies, my relationship with my wife, our vision for our family has revealed this alternative style of living, of living in closer relationship to the earth, like a a combination of a return to old ways 
and of reimagining new ways that are appropriate for the times we're in right now. But I had this realization recently. I was, we were up in uh, Tahoe and we were sitting in some hot springs talking to other people, similar mindset, going off on our visions. And we, we got to the point where we realized that we all had come from this background of nuclear family lifestyle, traditional American dream upbringing. And we were trying to create this new experience for our kids. And we're like, man, it's so hard. We were commiserating about the difficulties of living on land and the dynamics of social dynamics of communal relationships. When you really try to do that, it's really hard. We've been doing it here on this land for the past two years where we live right now. It's really challenging. It's so much distance to cover in one lifetime to go from this traditional nuclear family lifestyle to living off the grid in a collaborative communal fashion with council and, uh, you know, not, not one central leader. It, it's, it's, it's very, it's a lot to learn in one lifetime. And the stories that we are inspired by are from peoples who did this for thousands of years together, not just one lifetime, thousands of generations together. And so I think that's important to note. I think a lot of people are frustrated by how, how big of a mission it seems to create that experience. But the reality is, is yeah, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big journey to take on. Especially when our background, you know, our first seven, 14, 21 years of life, no matter if it's New Jersey or Germany or Canada or Brazil, where I'm sitting right now, if, if you've been indoctrinated into the program of the separated family unit, you know, the, nu the nuclear family, right? So if that's your program or your imprint to come together in circle and hear everyone share what they have to share, it's, that's, <laughs> whew, you know, it takes a lot of breath and it takes a lot of patience and but, you know, truth be told, no matter where I go in the world, no matter what I'm participating in or facilitating, I keep coming back to those values and I keep coming back to that is the path. And the more people connect to that path, the, the more real and the higher our integrity embodying this path. And the path is not a path of perfection. Like that's the illusion of technology that there one day will be a perfect human <laughs> if we all merge with the machine, you know. Uh, my listeners know that I don't believe in that, right? So <laughs> it's, it's we, the perfection is to be with each other. And I have a question there for you because you're, for everyone who's, who's listening to the audio, Jetty's wearing this awesome hat that says water in like a wicked um, letter. It's like alien know. language. I don't know quite like a, what it is. <laughs> it's almost like a, like a light language decoded, but I, I can read it. It says water. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so my question is, I want to, you know, it's more like a prompt. I want to hear about your connection and your love for nature. And um, well, maybe because I know a little bit of your, your background, I remember that you shared with me that there was a, an important journey within in, connecting with indigenous communities for the first time. Maybe you can start there and just tell us about that, that passion, that heart, that voice of nature that speaks through you. Yeah. So my, my love affair with nature and the natural world didn't really happen until college. Um, I had a buddy who got really into camping and backpacking and uh, he watching him on his journey, he went out and did like a solo overnight by himself. And it was like, you know, just really rugged. He really wanted to test himself. And so he invited me on one. And I remember on my first camping trip, I stabbed myself in the leg. We had a real small smoky fire. Like we were, we were freezing our butts off. But I remember when the sun rose in the morning, that feeling of like, whoa, we did that. Like I spent a night outside under the stars for the first time, even if it was hard, that was when it all started. I knew that there was something about being outside the walls of the comforts of my home and buildings and structures and modern technology. 
what you're alluding to uh, is I was doing an internship. I studied, I was studying as a physical therapist in college and I was doing an internship for a whole summer. And I chose the Northern Navajo Medical Center in New Mexico, which is way on the other side of the country. It's a whole nother story in and of itself, how I got there. But half of my experience there was learning more of how to be a physical therapist. The other half was fully immersing myself into this community, uh, which was really beautiful. I got to work with the, the boys and girls club out there. We did some really great work. But I also got invited to participate in some of my first traditional ceremony. And um, the first one I got to participate in was a sweat lodge. I'd never really heard of this before, never experienced it. And just the, the reverence and the simplicity that was brought into that ceremony compared to what I witnessed going to church as a very loose Roman Catholic growing up as a kid was just so refreshing. And it was so natural. We were, we were sitting on the earth. We were sweating together, men and women in this particular lodge. And I was getting dirty, you know, I was, which was the opposite of formal Roman Catholic ceremony, right? Like put on your suit and tie and go to church. It just felt real. And that it, it, and it lit something up in me, even though my, my, origins come from Japan and from Italy and the Middle East in my family origins. I was so connected to this idea of spirituality that's connected with exactly what I could see and feel underneath me. So that set me off on this journey of just being so curious and interested in traditional Native American ceremonies and getting involved in the Native American church. And you mentioned my hat water. Um, I'm one of those guys who's always saying like, I'll never drink water unless somebody reminds me that I should, or I've, I've been like exercising. So there you go. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> uh, the, the reverence for water and the things that I've heard when, when elders and people in these uh, leading these ceremonies, when they speak about water and really just giving so much more reverence and appreciation for it, I realized I had a relationship with water my whole life. I just wasn't very conscious to it. I was taking showers, I was drinking it, I was surrounding myself in it, I was swimming in pools, but I never had given thanks for the simple molecule. And so just the, the humility and simplicity of these practices is so refreshing for me. And of all the things that I studied in my years, that's, that's what really st stuck. And that's what we are raising our family in is, is these simple values of being re in relationship with what we see around us, not seeing ourselves as, as separate, or more important than anything that we see. That's a deep one. The simple values of nature. I'm about to embark onto a journey as we're recording this next week. I'm hosting a, an experience called We Are Nature, a 12-day immersion. And um, first time I'm planning this with my partner, you know, to host a group of about 12 people here in, in Brazil in the Cerrado Mountains. And I keep coming back to less is more simple, 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 because my mind doesn't need to be in charge. My ability to hold that space, yes, but my mind doesn't need to come, come in to make it an entertainment, right? And so I hear you say that that simple reverence is something that, you know, is present in indigenous cultures across the world where we can still encounter them and where we can feel that. And I also hear you say that that simple reverence is when we we kind of break free from the indoctrination of this idea of like, you know, put on your suit and tie and look the sweetest, most proper you can and don't dare to get dirty. Mm. I believe everyone listening can find their own connection to that. You know, it's, it's very, very real. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love talking about nature. I think nature is such a wonderful teacher. And I know even that, like everything is becoming so, I, I'm hearing the same thing said over and over, nature's our teacher. These things become so trite in my mind. But truly, when I want to understand something, I look out my window and I just mm -hmm. observe what's happening around me. Even the, rea the realization, one of them I came to, I do a lot of, in this men's work, I do a lot of uh, advocating for men to have a more full experience of the emotional spectrum, mm -hmm. extremes of emotion, anger, sadness, grief, even joy and mm -hmm. ecstasy. These are things that you don't ordinarily see men express because for one reason or another, we've determined that those expressions from men are not safe. Yeah. One reason or another, or it's not safe for me to express that. But in nature, nature itself is, is violent. It's aggressive to, to take care of a family in nature means to go out and to hunt and to kill, to protect your children from predators. Like nature itself, the whole perpetuation of life is very violent. And as modern peoples, many of us, most of us are, are sheltered and we protect ourselves from that. Even those of us, myself included, you know, I, I purchased meat at the store and I'm not there for the ending of, of that animal's life. You know, so there's a there's a part of this where we're just in, so disconnected from the the things that allow life to be possible, that it seems obvious to me why we don't have a greater appreciation for life, because we're literally not witnessing life happen. We're just experiencing a very small fraction of the, of the pie, when all of this other life is happening around us all the time. Right on. Yeah, there's, there's a, a beautiful red thread there, you know, which is when we connect to the fullness of that experience, when we connect to the fullness of that both simple reverence in nature, but also the, as you said, the, like the brutal force that nature contains just as much, then we're living real life. I feel like there, there for the last years and, you know, our lifetimes, for sure, there has been this, this creeping voice in our consciousness to persuade us that real life is better to be lived through virtual reality goggles and the infinite realms of the metaverse. <laughs> um, I got, I got so much about to say about that, man. <laughs> yeah. Let's drop in on that a bit. Like I, I absolutely don't believe it. I, I don't, I don't concur at all. I, I really, I really believe that there's lots to learn from the realness of nature. And I, I just want to back up what you said. I don't eat meat, right? I'm a vegetarian. Well, a pescatarian, I should say. Um, I, I do eat fish every now and then, but I—that's—that's not—that's not because I don't believe that. You know, um, yeah, there is a a way to connect with animals and 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 get nourished from them. I just don't want to support the killing culture that exists, and I also, you know, um, I see the rawness of nature. I wanted to host this podcast from outside of the balcony because the backdrop is just so much more pretty than what I'm sitting in front of right now. And, you know, it's like these green mountains and wonderful, but I get so scared because the thunderstorms rolled in and they are massive here in Alto Paraiso. It's like, you see like a lightning bolt, like you've never seen before and your whole body starts to shiver and, and like, yeah, if, if you don't do the right thing and this kind of rain hits you like flesh flood, boom, and your little human body is you know, helpless. And so, the rawness of nature is very, very, very real. And so, you know, the protected suburbs of New Jersey, you don't experience that. The protected oh. suburbs of Aschaffenburg or Goldbach in Germany, where I grew up, like I never experienced that. And, and so there's a disconnection to the reality of life that I believe makes it really hard, full circle to the beginning of this conversation, to tap into purpose. 
right? So floor well, is open, Jetty. Go, uh, go for it. Yeah. I feel like this is a little bit of an echo from the conversation you and I had. I think we were talking a little bit about gaming and the virtual experiencing mm. that makes living, and I put that in quotation marks, living more safe. Because in a virtual video game, for example, I don't even know them because I don't play them anymore. But mm. the, whatever the popular ones are, where people can go and they can they can fight, they can you know train a character, develop a character, and have these virtual battles. Those are a lot of the things that before any type of modern technology, young teenage boys were experiencing as part of their rites of passage, as part of their maturation into adulthood. And obviously, different cultures at different times had different utility and function for warriorhood warriorship but now we're like you said even a thunderstorm right as a kid growing up in new jersey i was so excited and terrified at the same time by these by these thunderstorms we would on the east coast we would have these really intense heat lightning downpour types of thunderstorms never see that in california anymore but in the summertime that's what would happen i remember being really scared by it the first time that it happened i remember seeing lightning in the sky like what is going on and i remember my dad just made it really fun He's like, wow, let's open up. Instead of closing the door, he's like, let's open the door. Let's see what it's like from inside the house. But like the storm door was open. And I'm, you know, he's like, you know, he's close to me. I don't think he was cuddling me, but he was close to me. And it just felt like, oh, I can experience this and it's okay. And there was this smallness that I felt in the, in the, in the face of this huge thunderstorm, but also like I was a part of it as a child that I think the, the the instinct would normally be, Oh, there's a storm coming. Let's batten down the hatches, close the door, lock everyone up. And I'm grateful that my dad gave me that experience. Cause I've always loved thunderstorms for that reason, ever since that moment. And I even remember as a teenager, just thunderstorm was coming in the summertime. And instead of going inside, I called my buddies and we would run in the streets, lightning crashing, just like getting soaking wet. And I think that's the stuff that a lot of teenage boys are not getting to experience now because of this culture of safety and um, uh, helicopter parenting and being so terrified of what the world might do to our kids when we put them out there, that they're forced to have these experiences that shape them in a virtual world. And we're only making it more, making them more dependent on that because of what we are kind of funneling them into saying, no, 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 you don't, this is not how you take risks. Don't take risks with your life. Take, take risks with your, you know, virtual characters and your virtual world because death would be the worst outcome, the worst possible outcome, right? Death, injury, you know, make, getting maimed or something in an accident, the worst outcome. But again, we're, we're so far removed from what real life is about. And I'm not saying be reckless. I don't want boys to go out and be reckless with their lives. That's not what, that's not what being an adult is or becoming an adult is, but learning what we're capable of with, in the world around us not the world that's inside of our heads or what we can manufacture on a digital screen. I want to take this a notch further, a little yeah. jump, but very much connected. Mm -hmm. Can you share about a, a, you know, expansive experience with, and mindful experience with psychedelics or na nature medicine and how that allowed you to drop in even deeper into this awareness that you just shared? Yeah. I'll, I'll share the first one that came to mind. I ha I'll say this. I had much more involvement in use of psychedelics when I was in my, in my 20s. Um, before I got married, before I had kids, I'm not opposed to them by any means, but that was where this was mostly going on for me. And 
the first that that trip I alluded to when I traveled for four months, it started in Yosemite. I flew across the country. I got picked up right after my 25th birthday by some college buddies who had planned this backpacking trip. And this was my first multi-day out in the wilderness, far from anything type of backpacking. We did 60 miles in six days all through the Yosemite. It was amazing. And um, I was, I was with college buddies, you know, we were all 25 something years old. And there was one day where, you know, we had put in some miles and the, the summer storm was coming through a rare, you know, summer storm for California's standards. And so we were just battening down the hatches. We were in our tents and I was sharing a tent with a buddy of mine and he had some, he had some mushrooms and he, he said, Hey, let's, let's eat these mushrooms and, and ride out the storm in here together. And at this point in my life, I'd had some of those experiences in sweat lodge and some of these other ceremonies. So I was beginning to have more of a naturally oriented context of, okay, spirit is all around me. It's not some man sitting on a cloud somewhere who's making decisions for people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's here, it's right here. And I think this thunderstorm must've lasted for like two or three hours, just downpour. And so here we are, we're just riding it out in the tent. We're on this, you know, mushroom amplified experience in the dialogue that we were having with my friend who I'd known for years, so much depth. And I, I, I when we would close our eyes, there was periods of times where we just completely stopped talking and hearing the raindrops. It was like, I could hear and feel every single raindrop hitting the tent, but also the leaves and the trees and the rocks around the outside of the tent. I was so tuned in to what was happening around me and that was probably the most potent part of that experience was just feeling that sense of connection up until that point i'd felt so stuck in my internal experience and my own internal strife that it was such a relief to connect with a raindrop hitting on a stone five feet from my tent It was like this weird sense of oh the world is okay as long as raindrops are still hitting the floor and i can connect with them uh, I, I don't know if that you can relate to that or if anyone else would understand that if, if they haven't had an experience like that, but that was, that was the first one that came to mind when you asked. Beautiful. I'm, I'm grateful you're sharing and, you know, and you're leading with that embodiment of vulnerable share, you know, because it's, it's my experience with, with, with mushrooms as well is, is psilocybin is our friend and it connects us to this grid of consciousness that allows us to have this multi-sensory experience and especially when you create a safe space for it, it it's it's life-changing and um, i think there's a place for it in our world you know mm -hmm. um we, we mentioned before like you know coming back to this idea of like this fake safety in this fake digital world yeah there's like a, a war on nature that has been going on on this planet right a war on our waterways they're heavily poisoned a war on our perception of nature as a a dangerous thing we need to control rather than a, you know, like a thing with high voltage that we, when we understand it, right, we find our place within it. And it's, it's always been boggled my mind. You know, there's this meme going around of, um, you know, a, a, a subtitle, like God created psychedelic plants and then humans uh, make psychedelic plants illegal. And, and, and God in this meme, he's obviously a pictured man with a white beard kind of style. Um, like his hands over his head because like, yeah, it's created for us to have a connection with it, not to endorse it, but to, 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 to share about this reverence for our planet and the, the, the planet's medicine. Yeah. Well, that's another thing I think we can observe in nature is that every other animal on this planet doesn't 
use or, or take any undomesticated because domesticated animals can have similar tendencies, but any undomesticated wild animal never takes more than it, than it needs. And it, and it only ever seeks out what it naturally needs with its body. There's a part of being really in tune with the body and what its needs are and instincts. I think a lot of us are completely out of alignment with that or largely out of alignment with it. And then there's just this idea of only, only taking what we need when we, when we need it. But now that we have these huge houses and storage containers and garages, we can pack more and we can hold on to more and bring more with us. We can load up a bunch of food and freezers instead of just taking what we had in, in any moment. And I think that's another, it's a very subtle, but significant part of the human experience is there's just these, these ways of being that affect the way we interact with the world, the way it's designed to be interacted with. Just like you said with, you know, psychedelic plants, right? It's, I don't think that it's any mistake that those exist. I think everything has a purpose and a function, but you can eat too much food. You can drink too much water. You can smoke too much weed. You can eat too many mushrooms. You can do it in the wrong context at the wrong time. And it, and it would have an adverse effect. It doesn't matter what it is. So, yeah. Yeah, the quality of reverence and grace is something we're we kind of keep swirling around in this conversation today, right? And it maybe you know your hat that says water uh, brings that brings that into my focus at least because water to me is one of those those things. If we if we use water like a thing, the world we build unfortunately becomes sick. You know, I travel a lot and I travel to big cities sometimes because they're part of the the, the pathways when you travel, and in in big cities, no matter you know, which country actually, in big cities, the waterways are often a catastrophe, like they're heavily polluted by toxins to make them clean, quotation marks here, or, you know, you drive out into the suburbs and you start smelling the like sewage, you know, and you're like, well, how is this the reality we've created on the, on the blue planet, on the, the water planet? Where is our reverence for nature? And, you know, you said that animals that are not domesticated, they, they know how to only take what's theirs or what's theirs to take. I remember reading Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, and there's a section in it where she speaks about um, in her indigenous culture, you would harvest and you would always leave half for nature itself. So you would just leave the rest because you would, you know, her culture at that point of, 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 of that of that cycle was was not in the arrogance that this Western dominant culture is that it's all for us and it's all for the taking and it's all for the optimization of growth and profit, right? Which is a total arrogance, which is, I believe, one of our biggest disconnects from the rhythms of nature. And so this idea of leaving something or for simply taking what's what's what you need in this moment is it's surprisingly foreign to to most of us. And um yeah, for me it's a through line to the topic that I've been on a quest for, you know, is this the through line to a healthy planet, a healthy society, healthy people is to, to know our place and to know our purpose and to connect to it in, in a form of reverence. Yeah. Which, like I said, again, it's, it's a lot of distance to cover, you know, everything that I learned from the moment I was born up until I started really thinking for myself when I left the, my house as a, as a young adult is that the world is mine for the taking. Right. And, and I, I think I had some pretty respectful service oriented community driven parents, you know, it wasn't like they were saying, you know, conquer the world and leave, leave a wake of chaos in your path. But it was, but there was the underlying notion that, Hey, 
whatever you can take for yourself and bring back for your family, go out and get it. This manifest destiny, the world is your oyster, when really it doesn't belong to us. And on the other side of things, um, some one of the messages that always sticks with me that I've heard um, these ceremonial leaders say is that even your life is not yours. If you treat, if you treat your life as though it's, it's yours and it only belongs to you, then that's also selfish, right? Because our, our lives, when we, when we really believe in a life of service and a life of this, going back to what we said before, community actualization, it's, it's a part of an organism. That would be like my fingernail saying the rest of this body is in service to me. All right. It's like, no, my fingernail knows that it serves a very specific function and it has the benefit of being supported by the rest of my finger and my skin and my bony structure and my other tissues, but they all function together. You know, my fingernails, even though I'm, you know, if I was less domesticated, right, my fingernails would help me to peel things so that I could get nourishment, access it and put it in my mouth so that it could feed the rest of my body and receive that nourishment. My, my fingernails not digesting nutrients that come from seeds and plants, right? It's just benefiting from, it's playing its role, right? Playing its role. And I think that's something that people are starting to ask themselves that question. What is really my role in this bigger picture? And so many of us are still really, really confused. And I think it's important to admit that there are phases when I was confused or I am confused, just like there's phases when I feel sad and there's phases when I feel depressed doesn't mean that that's a big part of my life, but they, they exist. And this mm -hmm. illusion that we're all perfect, functioning, smiling robots, again, is like, that's the biggest part of disconnection. It's because we're all competing with each other who is, who's winning the popularity contest rather than admitting, I'm part of life. I feel all the things. Mm -hmm. I'm part of life. I, 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 me too. I feel this, you know? And, and in that connection through the journey that we are on as humans, we, we could find each other. You know, I, I have, you know, developed the belief that human intelligence expresses itself in relationship, in connection, in connection to the internal world, as much as in the connection to the external relationships and family and communities. And a very important, you know, fragrance or quality in there is trust. And so I'm curious about Jedi, about you and how you experience trust, like what trust feels like in, in your body. Oh man. I don't remember if I've shared this with you because I say it so often, but I'll say it again anyway for everyone who's listening. I believe the most valuable investment on this planet is relationships. The most important thing we could invest in because it's the one thing that can withstand the test of time, right? Mm -hmm. Real estate, cryptocurrency, gold, all this stuff is it's volatile. It changes. Relationships are those things that we will always need and depend on, just like water and other vital resources. I think relationships are like almost like the fifth element. And so trust to me is the currency that these relationships grow upon. And we make investments in these relationships by generating trust through our words and our actions, our words that we say, hey, Julian, I'm going to show up at 1130 for this podcast interview. And I'm here on time, ready to go. And you're like, awesome, man. Like, I know I can count on awesome, Jetty. Man. To be I'll be five minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> but see, even that, right? You said, I'll be yeah. five minutes late. And then you were here five minutes later. So I, even when it doesn't go according to plan, I know I can trust you to come back and communicate mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. All of these things that happen on this subconscious level often, it's, it's, it's creating trust between ourselves and within ourselves, like how I trust myself. I said I was going to wake up at six to go for a run. Did I do it? I did. I trust myself a little bit more. So all of those transactions happening sequentially, it's just like, it's just like a 401k, right? 
over over time, the, the interest compounds and these relationships become strong. The relationship that we have with each other and the relationships we have with ourselves. So I think trust is really simple. It's doing what we said we were going to do, whether I made a commitment or promise to myself or I made that commitment or promise to somebody else. And even if I broke a commitment, how do I recover from that? Right. Cause that's where the shame cycle comes in. Oh my God. Right. Like what, what did I do? Oh, this person's never going to trust me again. Well, if you can come back and say, Hey, I know I told you I would be here and I'm sorry that I wasn't, here's what happened. And next time what you can count on me for is, is I'll do this better. Right. That's when trust and integrity have an interplay, right? Integrity is not being uh, perfect. Integrity is being able to clean it up just as much as showing up. Absolutely. Cause we're all so human. <laughs> we're not, we're not yet AI robots. Oh, no, thank you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. So, so, you know, if that resonates with you listening, <laughs> say no, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny that we're talking about it because this shared humanity is like, this is the time when we need to stand up for it and insist on it over any tactic confusion program of the good player, the bad player, the government, the, the, this system, the, that system It's like, if you paid attention, that will go on forever if you pay attention to that, you know, and if you start paying attention to your humanity and your path as a human on this planet and your shared humanity with others, whew, suddenly there's a breath and there's space for it. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, I don't think I've told you this yet. This is the question that made me start the podcast and it's about our seven generational context in this life, you know, and so I want to ask you, um, you know, connect to maybe to your dream that you have for our, our seven generations into the future. You know, what's the dream inside of you that, that, that makes your heart beat ever stronger in this world? That is a dream that is seven generational. I love that you asked that. I'm a very visual visionary type of person. When I think of seven generations, I actually see snapshots like, like a film that's playing out in the future. And I imagine seeing my great, great, great grandson and granddaughter with their families um, sitting in ceremony together with just this simple and humble reverence and existence on this planet. I don't, I don't see big buildings. I don't see fancy cars. I don't see any of these, but I, but what I do see is I see trust. I see love in relationship being exchanged. I see honesty and integrity and words being exchanged between my, my, I don't, but what's the opposite of ancestors, processors, I guess, future sisters, whatever they are. Recessors. Yeah. Recessors. Yeah. (laughs) The second language here. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know either. But whatever, whatever that is, you know, I I also, I also imagine that there's just a, if, if we've done what we've, what we needed to do with, if I did what I needed to do in my lifetime, I'd like for my great, great, great grandchildren to know the names of all of their ancestors coming all the way back to me and to know what we chose to do with our lives and that they can, they can tell that story and share that story with their kids. That's one thing I feel like I, I really lost the benefit of. And I think so many people from, you know, migratory peoples, we lost where we came from because we, we abandoned these stories of who we, who we were, who we are, who we are, because it's still in our DNA. So I, I have a firm belief that recreating these ancestral uh, narratives and storytelling is going to be really important. So I imagine my great, great, great grandkids sitting around a fire 
with their families, everyone happy, simply sitting on the ground, telling stories of their ancestry and where they came from and why they do the things they do now because of what the ancestors taught them. And just knowing that I'm looking down on them, praying for them and supporting them in whatever way I can. So I have one, one last question for you. And that's, that's about that path of these, you know, um, great, great, great grandchildren. So if you were to, you know, change the education system or create your own education system, or just talk about education, what you think is important in raising uh, incoming generations of epic spirits here to be human, um, what would be a few ideas on that? I love that question. I this is something a lot a lot of people know about me. I've had you know the X Men, right? Like X Men comics and all that. So I, I was a huge X Men fan. So I've always had this fantasy of having like a Professor Xavier's school for for children. And I know we, we can't like shoot lasers out of our eyeballs at this point, but to have a school where a child a child and their innate abilities, interests, and passions is it's identified at a young age because they spend so much time with their aunties and uncles and parents and grandparents that they all the elder folks in the community can see it in that child. They say, you know what, let's let's have this child spend spend their time exploring this because this is where their passion, this is where their purpose lies. And somehow developing a curriculum. You know, my my son right now is in a homeschooling co-op, which is actually a pretty pretty close step in that direction. From what I've observed, there's a lot of free play. It has the right amount of balanced structure, like the, the simple life skills that need to be a part of an organized educational curriculum. But there's also this freedom for them to really be themselves. And there's all different types of kids in this co-op. It's, it's awesome to see them all interact with each other. So to me, I understand centralization makes things more efficient and simple in a way, or maybe maybe easy in a way, but it also creates this cookie cutter society where all of us, and if you don't fit in to the cookie cutter mold, you're, use, you're useless, right? You don't have value. You don't have purpose. You don't have meaning. If, you're, if you want to be an artist, well, pff, there's no time for that. You better go and learn calculus. I, I, I want to see educational models that really support the natural passion and trajectory of a child from a young age. And it requires a lot of attention, a lot of care. It's really hard when we're living in this society with parents that are, you know, two full-time working parents that ship their kids off to school, which to me is just glorified daycare in a lot of situations, just so we can do the same old thing. But uh, anyway, without going too deeply into it, that would be my ideal scenario. Like you, you did go pretty deep there right away, that presence and attention you know, to children, um, having, having spent time in different alternative approaches and not a ton of time, but significant, you know, I think that is a pivotal factor for who we become as human beings and, you know, full circle for this really beautiful conversation with you, Jetty. I think it, this is, this is a pivotal factor in all relationships is when we can be present and we can give each other that gift of attention then something heals within us where we don't have to seek that attention on our Instagram feed or on our Facebook feed or in, you know, any form of digital reflection where we can simply experience it with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 
there's a lot of it's really easy to give technology and all these modern conveniences a, a bad rap but even just the the nature of these conversations i mean we've never met in person in order for us to have this conversation it would take a tremendous amount of effort and resources and time other modern technologies of getting into airplanes you know if i if i was going to just leave my house now and walk to brazil like maybe we can go record this in like four months <laughs> you'd be here yeah. in four months well man that <laughs> I, I i don't know i'm just throwing it i've, I've never walked yeah, to brazil well, i don't know how much i walk halfway the other way <laughs> yeah we'll meet somewhere <laughs> in the middle uh well but... exactly uh, not not to demonize it either but they, there's a lot of ability that shows up with it but these tools are both they're a connector and a distractor right Exactly. Yeah. And, and using, using our tools well, right. That's another, that's another thing that's really important in indigenous communities is uh, having them respect and reverence for tools and knowing how to use them properly with, with respect, you know, otherwise you hurt yourself, or you hurt someone else. Powerful. There were so many gold nuggets in this conversation, Jetty, and I, I really, really appreciate your time, uh, your presence, your path, the way you connect with people and the, the way you play and uh maybe we won't need um walking between brazil and and the, the united states but there will be another way for us to meet in person so everyone listening thank you for tuning in is there anything else you want to add any shout out you want to make anything you want to feature before we wrap this episode uh only that if there are purpose-driven men out there who want to be in community with other purpose-driven men you know come check us out at rising man movement on instagram you can pretty much follow and find anything you want to there uh, just the conversation of manhood and masculinity on the Rising Man podcast. We we're always talking about some of the things we addressed here today. So uh, so yeah, just honored to be here with you, man, and have another conversation with you. And whenever whenever it happens that we get to meet and be in physical proximity of each other, I look forward to that.